Genesis 18, everybody. So last week, real fun chapter, since you guys weren't here, we were talking about the uh, covenant of circumcision. And uh, for those of you here, I know you were, your life was changed. But again, God has a way of, of teaching us certain things. And, and if we look at Abraham's life, he was made right. He was justified with God. And this is what we all want to know. How do I know that when it's all been said and done, that I am his, I'm going to make it, I'm there? How do I know? Is it by everything that I have done, everything I've accomplished? Is it by the works I've done in my flesh, in my strength? No. That's not the gospel. That is a false gospel. That's a gospel of works. It's not even a gospel. It's not even good news. That's what every single religion on this earth tries to accomplish. If I can just jump through enough hoops, if I can just do enough, if I can just act this way and balance these skills, at the end of my life, God will go, okay, good, bad, yay. Or if I go through this ritual, then I will be right with God. It says in Scripture clearly that before Abraham was circumcised, that he was made right with God. He was accredited to him as righteousness because he believed. He had faith in the promise of God. John 3.16, we know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes upon him shall not perish, but will have, shall have eternal life. A righteousness apart from anything we could do. Praise God, trusting in his finished work. Now, as a sign of that covenant, as a, as, a, as a response to that covenant, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they were given the sign of, of circumcision. If you don't know what that is, you can talk to your parents. All right? And it, it, was, it was an outward symbol of what was supposed to be an inward reality of their hearts the cutting away of the flesh. And for the people of Israel, it was to be a, a constant reminder of who they were. They were different. They were set apart. Now, they didn't understand the full implications. As you get into Romans, Paul talks about the implications of what that was supposed to mean in the New Testament. But as we look at them, there was an outward symbol of what was supposed to be an inward work in their heart. We're a separate people. It's the sign of the covenant. It's an everlasting sign. It's permanent. And so as you have the group of Israelites growing in, in age and in time, and as this becomes a custom, what happened is they started to look at that sign, the fact that the guys were all circumcised, that they were a righteous people. They looked to the symbol instead of the spiritual reality in their hearts, which was supposed to be. And so you get into the New Testament and you see a bunch of Jews running around telling Christians, hey, you have to be circumcised under the new covenant, and you've got problems there. Because what it's supposed to be is a cutting away of the flesh. The flesh meaning Matt's way, Matt's ruling, my sin nature that Christ performed on the cross. He nailed it to the cross. And now it's supposed to be a life lived by the Spirit. And that's what that points to. When we come to baptism, 
this kind of, Paul does, he ties it in as kind of like a sign of the new covenant, so to speak. An outward expression of an inward reality. An outward expression of an inward reality. That we have been crucified with Christ when we go down to the waters. And I no longer live, but it is now Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No longer a life led by my flesh, but now I can live by the Spirit of God who indwells me. And I choose to walk by faith. I choose to put on Christ and to put off the flesh. I choose to walk according to the Spirit. And that is the life that God has for each one of you this morning. That's what He wants. But just like the Jews back then, we can often look to things we have done as a means of righteousness. I have been baptized, so therefore, as an infant, so therefore I am saved. No. I have been baptized as an adult, therefore I am saved. No, not necessarily. I have gone to church every single Sunday, therefore I am saved. No. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. And the works that we do, the response, the good works, shall I say, are a response to our faith. You will know a tree by its fruit. I have been saved, therefore I choose to identify my life with Christ. I will become baptized into Christ. It's not the water that washed away the sin. That's a symbol of what really happened in the spirit in my heart through Christ. Understanding? And Jesus says, I want you to be immersed fully with me. That's kind of his teaching. I want you to be one with me as I am one with the Father. So follow me. Follow me how I live because I have saved you. And and our lives as Christians are to be a response to that work in our hearts. And if we put the works before the heart, we have works. But if we put the heart before the works, we have worship and service and love towards God. And that is what we are to be as Christians, a life Uh, a a people who are responding to the grace of God in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I'm yours. What do you want? And the Spirit puts something on our hearts. We're reading through scriptures. We're, We're talking with people. We're praying with people. And the Lord is leading us and directing us in our lives into the good works that he prepared for us before the foundations of the earth that we should walk in. And so that's fundamental here. And there is a sign of the old covenant, circumcision, and so Abraham, that day, he chose to respond to God in obedience. Because what does a person of faith do? What God says. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'm yours. And it says that he took Ishmael, his son, who was 13 years old, and circumcised him that day, and all the guys in the camp. What a crazy day. Very interesting. I don't, I don't want to go too into it right now, but think about the, you know, some of us fathers, we have sons, or some of us mothers, you know, we have daughters and sons. Sometimes we need to take our kids and to not only just tell them what to do, but to do it with them. And, and I'm talking about the things of the Spirit. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. But I tell you what, I can tell John and Ruth to pray all day, and this is something the Lord convicted me on this week. They're not going to go do it themselves. 
quite often. You know what I mean? Hey, go pray. Go read your Bible. Go do your, did you say your prayers? Yeah, I said my prayers. How are they going to... Abraham took his son, and he did it. That cutting away the flesh, so to speak. But in our own hearts, taking our sons and our daughters and teaching them how to pray by praying with them. Teaching them how to read the word by reading the word with them. Teaching them how to serve by serving with them. Teaching them how to love by showing that example. Are we going to be perfect in this? We all said no. But what we train them to do, they will do. And what we fail to train them to do, the world will teach them. And it's teaching them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's powerful. And it's omnipresent. You know, whatever, you know, it will just show you what's going on. Parents, hands on. Hands on. We want to develop that heart in them through prayer and through example. And I tell you, God's talked to me this week about it with my kids. But in verse 18, it says, then, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of, Ram, of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And this is just a little while, a little bit after. Verse 2 says, Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass by your servant. Do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way. And now that you have come to your, now that you've come to your servant. And they said, what do they say? They said, very well. They answered, do as you say. And so the Lord, Adonai here, appears to Abram with these two other guys who we will learn are angels. And we can assume that this is, this is uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in, per, in the person of, uh, I'm sorry, this is God in the person of Jesus Christ appearing to Abraham before his incarnation. Uh, we assume this, and I assume this, because the scriptures teach that no man has seen the Father at any time. If no man has seen the Father at any time, and it teaches also that the Son has expressed him, the Son has revealed him. Well, who is this then? Well, it must be the Son. Therefore, if God appeared to someone in human appearance in the Old Testament, it was most likely the Lord. We've talked about this and touched on it. It's, it's the angel of the Lord in one place. Melchizedek is kind of a symbol another. But the Lord is appearing to Abraham several different times, and it seems in different ways. But it seems as though Abraham recognized that it was the Lord. And you can see it in his actions, the way he reacted, the way he lived the way he responded how did he what did he do so everybody's hanging out you're up by yourself and you see these three guys walk by what do you do what's up or don't even or like you know walk away (laughs) (laughs) abraham what does he do runs he goes and runs and i just was thinking about this how do we greet the lord how do we greet the lord when, when we are You know, what kind of attitude do we have, do we possess as a people and individuals regarding the Lord and the things of the Lord, where we meet him? Now, obviously, we know that he's with us, he indwells our hearts, but there are certain 
things where Jesus says, hey, where two of you or more, more are gathered in my name, there I am also. You know? Um, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. You know, there are certain things that seem like his presence gets manifested. We can sense him in our lives. And, and I'm just asking, you know, how is our hearts towards these things? You know, on Sunday mornings when we gather together in his name, how are our hearts like that? You know, it's like, oh gosh, Lord, I don't want to go and I don't want to meet you or those people or, you know. You know, in your personal devotion time with the Lord, spending time alone with the Lord, oh Lord. Boy, the flesh dies hard, doesn't it? In prayer. Yes, Lord, let me pray. I was talking to a dear friend this week, and we both have the same issue. Start to pray, and all of a sudden, what happens? You want to do everything else. Your mind gets pulled off in 50 direction. I said, you know, if I ever needed to get anything done, I'd just start praying because I'll go do it. <laughs> oh, of a sudden desire to go fix that thing that my wife has been asking me for, you know. No, nah, but our flesh, it doesn't want to follow through on these things. You know, when we worship, when, when music is playing, do we, do we just say, you know, Lord, I'm here. I want to love you. I'm singing to you. I give it to you. Running to meet him, that attitude of, you're my savior. I care for you. I want, I want to give you priority in my life. Take me. Crucify the flesh. Let the spirit arise. Amen? Do you run to him? Do we run to him? Is there an excitement? Expectation? Do we bow our hearts low before him like Abraham? Do we humble ourselves in humility, knowing who he is and who we are and what he's done for us, a gratefulness? Do we ask him to stay and abide with you for a while? Do I, do I ask, Lord, just stay longer? I want to be in your presence. I want to know you. Some of you have never experienced that before. Some of you have never known that before. And it's in front of you. He wants you, each one of you, to give you a deep, abiding relationship with him. Not just built upon feelings, but he desires to, to, for you to have all of him and for him to have all of you. To be one with him. What's that like? Do you ask him to stay for a while? Revelation 3.20, Jesus is speaking to the church of Sardis who had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. Remember that? What did he say? He said to that church, verse 20 of 3, chapter 3 in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and, and will sup with him. I'll have dinner with him. I'll eat with him and he with me. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to have communion. We're going to have, we're going to hang out. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to the church. Where is he? He's outside the door. I've gotten flack over this before. He's outside the door and he's knocking. Hey, church, I want to have fellowship with you. I want to have time with you. I want, I want to come in and have a meal with you, so to speak. And, and, and Abraham's asking the Lord to stay and eat. And the Lord says, very well, do as you say. When's the last time, you know, I'm asking my own, 
own, my own heart and my own mind, when's the last time that, you know, you just opened the door of your time, the door of your priorities to the Lordship of Jesus? Lord, just come and take over. Let's have, let's have time. He's knocking. And if you open the door, he's going to come in. He's going to have fellowship with you. How do you do that? By faith. Lord, come in. You ask. And he will. And the thing is that Jesus isn't just talking about physical food here. How many of you, your souls are hungering and thirsting this morning? They just can't be satisfied. Can't satisfy it with relationships, can't satisfy it with technology, can't satisfy it with uh, finances, whatever it is, you just can't satisfy. You're, you're just empty and you keep going back to the same well and you end up dry, thirsty, hungry. Jesus recognizes this in each one of us. And what does he say to us? Come to me, all of you who are thirst and hunger. I'm going to quench your soul. I'm going to take care of what only I can take care of because I designed you to come to me and be satisfied. That is what your purpose in life is to come to me, Jesus said. In so many words, come to me. Jesus is knocking. Verse 6, and so Abraham, he hurried. Go ahead, do what you're going to do. What you're gonna do. Go for it. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three says of find his flour and knead it and bake it, bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that he had been prepared. And he set these before them. A couple of miracles here. Abraham is 99. He is running. Pretty cool. Second miracle, he's helping out prepare dinner. But in all seriousness here, there's a quality, there's an intensity to his service. There's a quality, there's an intensity. You're looking at me like I'm, I'm, I'm foolish. Look at him, you know, he's going crazy, he's talking, he's loud, he's expressing. I'm excited about Jesus. I love him. He's it. I have lived the life of hell and sin, and he has saved me from death. And am I perfect? Heck no. But he is, he is my righteousness. And, I, uh, and, and the Jesus that I know and that I see and that I spend time with and, the, and that I see work and I see in scriptures, I want you to know him. And I want you to know him personally and get excited about him and go share that with others. A well of living water overflowing in your life. But there's a, in, in all seriousness, there's a quality, there's an intensity in Abraham's service to the Lord that is, it's present and it's, it's amazing. He's running. Notice he's not putting it off. Serving the Lord is a priority in Abraham's relationship with the Lord. And it's just, it, it's, it's who he is. How we serve, the quality and the intensity of our service to the Lord shows a lot about our relationship with Him. And I'm not talking about a charismatic zeal. I'm talking about a whole heart. And that looks different in each one of you, does it not? Expressed through different personalities. But a whole heart towards the Lord. Lord, you're my priority. I'm going to give you my, the quality of all that I am. I'm going to give you 
my, my power, my intensity, my focus. Love the Lord with all you have, you know? Priorities, what about priorities in our lives? They get done, and they get done fast, right? Not, not necessarily sloppily, but they, they're important. Something of great priority, your right arm suddenly just stops working, that is a priority. We attend to it right away, hopefully. If you aren't, then you don't know what's going on with you. Is pleasing the Lord a priority in our lives? Or do we serve him begrudgingly and put it off or complain? And, and again, this shows the relationship. If I know the Lord and if he's in my heart and he's working in my life, the Spirit will begin to empower me to do the works that he's called me to do. But if I am putting works before that love relationship with, the God, with God, it becomes, oh, gosh. But if I know him and I'm in relationship with him and I love him, yeah, the flesh is still there, but it's, there's, a, there's a worship, there's an intensity, there's a power that comes with that, a response. So Abraham showed the Lord was a priority in this meeting he's having and that he gave him his best. He gave him his best. And let, let, me, let me challenge you as the Lord's challenging me this week. How did Abraham give him his best? He gave it to him physically. He was 99, everybody, and the guy's, the word in Hebrew is run. He ran. Now, I don't know how fast that looked, but he was running at 99. I'd much rather tell someone else to run. Let the younger generation take care of it. Sorry. The younger generation has to take care of it too. Don't get me wrong. But there comes a, you know, sometimes when we get older, we can, we can kind of slack off in our, in our, you know, I'll just give a little less. I'll cut here and there because I got to preserve. I understand that. But Abraham, he, it just flowed from his heart. He ran. Materially, he gave his best. Verse 6 and verse 7. Verse 6, Sarah, get the finest flower. Verse 7, Abraham selected a choice, tender calf. He picked the best for the Lord. And he also did, he, he did physically, materially, but he also did, he gave the best support. He, and, he took his wife, said, Sarah, I want you to go make bread. And then he took his servant, probably one of his best servants, and said, I want you to prepare this in a special way. While he went out and took care of the other stuff. And that leads to the, the other thing. He was involved personally in his worship. He personally was going and getting these things and organizing, and he grabbed these things, and he took them and set them before the Lord. And this reveals his heart. He was a servant. How many of you say, I am a servant. I love to serve people. Woohoo! No, I like people to serve me. You know, I know someone's going to take that clip and just replay it over and over. <laughs> we used to do that to a pastor. We had, we'd go and we'd cut the clips and make it like this total like five minute heresy thing. It was fun. Don't do that, anybody. I will edit that from the clip. <laughs> no, but two or three times there, Abraham calls himself, Lord, your servant. He bowed himself down to the Lord. There's this heart of, 
He knew his place. He was a servant before the Lord. He was indebted to him. There was a, a recognition there. Abraham was actively involved in this service of fellowship, of hospitality towards the Lord and to angels. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality towards strangers. That word hospitality actually means a kindness towards strangers. For by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And Abraham really did. Abraham was entertaining these angels of the Lord. Verse 8, And while they ate, he stood near them under the tree. Under a tree. And I, I don't have time to get into it this morning, but there's a lot there you can unpack. Nourishment, fellowship with the Lord under the tree. The tree that we, that Scripture often so points to the cross. Verse 9, Where's your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said, eavesdropping on us. Then one of them said, I will surely return. It doesn't say that. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And what does it say? Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abram and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing, 80-something, 86. And so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, that's Abraham, will I now have this pleasure? And she's laughing incredulously. She's totally in disbelief there. It's not a laugh. Oh, this is great. Verse 13 says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Think about it. A lot going on there. Hey, Abe, where's your wife? Oh, she's in the tent over there. Did the Lord know where, the, where his wife was? Yes. When God asks questions, it's not for his benefit. It's for ours. Hey, I'll be back in a year and you're going to have a son. God's intensifying his revelation to Abraham. He's giving more details, more details, more details, and it's coming down to a point where the promise is coming true. And Sarah, she's eavesdropping, and she laughs to herself in her heart. And it says, the Lord, that is Jehovah, and he pulls out his title. He said, the Lord, the supreme God. That's what that is. He's saying there, asks Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Well, you know, well, am I really going to have a child? Is anything too hard for Jehovah? Is anything too hard for the supreme God? Is anything too hard? Obviously, Sarah was saying this to her own heart in her own way, but God knows the inner working of her heart. He knows what you're saying inside your mind and your heart. Did you know that? He knows you're in the tent. He knows where you are, and he knows what you're thinking. But why did she laugh in disbelief? Ask yourself, why would you laugh at 86 saying you're going to have a kid? Because what is Sarah focusing on? What I got. What's in front of me. The facts. The way the world works. And what is God trying to continue to train Abraham and Sarah and, and each of us? 
to walk by faith and not by sight. And when we fail to walk by faith, we walk by sight, which is our default, everybody. But you were born into a different kingdom. And our Father is teaching us how to see life through the way he sees things. And when Jesus says in places, hey, stretch out your hand and be healed, I can't because my arm is lame. No, just do it. Do what I say. Stretches out his arm and it's healed. When Jesus says, be still, you know, to these waves, our minds go, no, that can't possibly be. And this is why when, the, when he said it and the waves stopped, what did the disciples do? They freaked out. Who is this that can speak in things, the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this that we are in this boat with? That same Lord is here now. He is present. You know, we, we can often look at circumstances. For us, there's degrees of difficulty. We look at life through degrees of difficulty, don't we? Someone comes up to me and they says, you know, hey, I've got a headache. Will you pray for me? Oh, Lord, will you just bless this person? Will you, will you take away the tension in their head? Will you help them? In Jesus' name, amen. Trust in the Lord to be able to, to do that if it's his will, Right? Someone comes up to me three minutes later. I've got a fourth stage terminal cancer. Will you pray for me? Oh, guys, elders, come on, let's go. Get everybody together. Hey, oh God, oh God, will you please, you know, we got this charismatic thing going. Is anything, is, is, is healing a headache any more difficult than healing fourth stage terminal cancer to God? No. Who's it difficult for? In our belief. And I'm not saying that if we have faith that, that God would necessarily heal it. It's his will, right? Supersedes any great feelings we have. But we look at our lives and our marriages and these, these circumstances in our, in our lives and we go, and it challenges us to our core because it reveals what, where our eyes and our hearts are. God, how can you possibly answer this when this is the circumstance? And there's this great gap in our lives. And this is where we must surrender what we see. And we must say, I choose to believe you, Lord Jesus. Not what we think, what we think about it, but what he says. I choose to believe you. I know my sin has weighed me down. I know I've done this and this, but I choose to believe that Jesus, you said you paid it all. You paid it all. And what's going on in my, mo- my, hi- my heart, my mind, my emotions has to be surrendered to the truth of the cross. We're to be a people of faith. Sarah laughed. Dad, you aren't going to really, can't do that. Look at the situation. Abraham, a week ago, I'll let Ishmael live before you. No, I'm not going to let your flesh fulfill the covenant. Only a work of faith, only trusting in me is going to bring about the righteousness of God, is going to bring about the plan of God. And God's teaching us, each of us through his word and through circumstances that surround us to walk by faith and not by sight. Sarah heard the impossible and she laughed. 
Jehovah, standing right outside her tent, knew she was eavesdropping, knew the inner workings of her heart. And he asked, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for me? What's the big thing in your life? What's the too hard for God situation in your life? If we're honest, we have them. If we search, we have them. You know, I, and I've shared with you before, and, and this is my concern as a church too. I, quite often we're looking for relief. When God wants to teach us something through it, and we're not asking, we, we ask for healing, we ask for help, we ask God take this away, when sometimes the Lord is saying, you know what, I want to teach you something deep about me through this, through the pain, through the suffering. And I will heal you in the end, or I might heal you in two weeks, or I might do this or that. But we all are riddled with these fallen bodies that are falling apart. There's going to be pain. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be suffering in this world. Fear not, I have overcome it. And if we hope in this body, if we hope in this flesh, if we hope in what we see, we're going to end up sorry and sad and constantly grasping for something that, we, that will not be fixed, that is headed towards the grave. Sorry to give you the uplifting sermon part. As you know, I hurt every day. And I have verses in my Bible underlined from who knows what and all through Psalms and God will give me, and you know what? And God's just saying, he's been showing me through the years, through circumstances, through scripture, through people. Matt, I'm developing something more precious than the relief of your symptoms. I want your heart. And you're like a donkey who needs a bit and a bridle. <laughs> it's the word he gave me when I went into the ministry. You're like a donkey who needs a bit and a bridle. That's me. And so Paul prayed three times, hey Lord, take this away from me. Take this thorn in my flesh away from me. The Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient. And I would pray as a church, that we would, re- we would recognize is anything too hard for the Lord? No. But when he says no, not now, that we would change our hearts to say, Lord, what are you doing? What's in my heart? What's going on? What are you teaching me? What do I need to know? Because I'm in this place and I'm either going to gravitate towards the world and try to satisfy the needs I'm going to gravitate towards you. Anybody in that circumstance this morning? Yeah, that, that life of faith is difficult. But God, there's, there's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing too hard for him. Relationships, physical problems, relational problems, relational problems, a lot of them. Nothing too hard for the Lord. A lot of things are hard for us.
trusting in our flesh and our strength. But thy will be done. Take this cup away from me. Lord, please, Jesus called out to God, Father, right? Nope. Something I want to do in and through you. We can relate with that. Our hope is in the Lord. It's not in this world. It's in the one that's promised, that's, that's coming. Abraham was a sojourner. He didn't sit down and build the house. Not that we can't build houses. It's just that his eyes were looking towards heaven. And that was a picture for us to see this heart that was set on pilgrimage, that was realizing that this is not it. Matt 1.0 is going away. Praise God. I'm going to get a 2.0 or, you know, infinity model, and I'll be great. Be awesome. No more pain. No more suffering. But until that day, let the Lord work it in our hearts. Amen? And he said in, in verse 14b, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. At the appointed time, it's going to happen. God has times and seasons for things in our lives. At the appointed time, friends. And Sarah was afraid. Verse 15, and so she lied. I didn't laugh. But he said, yeah, you did. And I love the Lord. He doesn't, he doesn't punish her for it. He doesn't, you know, go crazy. He just, he's not going to let junk fly. He just says, you know what? Yeah, you did. I know what's going on in your heart, Sarah. I love you. I care for you. I'm Lord. You're lying. You were laughing. You were in, uh, in disbelief to what I said. And he left it there. And we're going we're gonna to stop right now. We'll get into this and probably pick up the next chapter next week, which is going to deal with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And boy, that's a pretty heavy topic for our nation. And I would say if you read the New Testament, there are certain situations where God is saying, hey, you know what? It's going to be easy compared to, it's going to be easy for Sodom and Gomorrah compared to what's going to happen to this situation. And, and if you read about that, like Capernaum and all these new, new what, was the, what was the scenario? If we look at this judgment that was happening here in the Old Testament, and Jesus says, man, that's nothing compared to what's going to happen to a certain group of people. I wonder who those people are. <laughs> that's scary. So uh, anyway, stay tuned. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your grace. And I, and I don't throw that word around lightly. Just that you, des- you decided in, in your heavenly plan to be able to forgive us. And you've provided your son as the sacrifice. Lord, help us live in light of that, that we have been forgiven much. And I pray that the way we serve, the way we treat others, may we not 
be unforgiving people and hold grudges towards people when you've forgiven us of so much. Maybe be a people who have been given much so that we can give much in every way in our, in our, on our hearts and our service and everything we have, Lord, to the furtherance of your kingdom and your will on this earth. Father, I pray that we wouldn't laugh in our hearts at the things of God, but that we would believe and trust no matter what this world throws at us, no matter what it looks like, we would fall back on what you say and say, may it be so, Lord God. Father, for those who are in impossible circumstances this morning, or it seems impossible, I pray that you would encourage their hearts. Is anything too hard for you? And Lord, for those who've been hurting for a long time, we, we lift them up to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, bring them into a, a deeper walk with you, Father, the fellowship of the suffering with Christ, Lord, that they would begin to uh, perhaps see something different. That they would trust that, yes, you are ultimately going to bring healing and relief. But Father, you're doing something in the meantime. You're allowing this to happen, not because you're cruel, but because you love, because you have a greater sense of purpose in their lives. So Father, will you encourage them this morning? Will you you shower them with your truth and your word, Father? And I pray that the enemy would not come down and pluck the words out of their hearts as they walk out of this place. And that they would be, walk away discouraged, but they would know you're with them and you care for them and you want to use them for your purposes. They are precious in your sight. Be with this church. Be with the children, Lord. We ask that you lead us this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.